Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode we have a ton to talk about between the Hawks and the Braves. Both teams had an insanely busy week, um, both trades for the Hawks, news for the Hawks, news for the Braves. The Braves were, of course, playing games this week also, but um, just a bunch of random stories coming out of Atlanta for the Braves, um, ranging from more Freddie Freeman drama to a rumor that they are the front runners for Jacob deGrom this offseason, which is um, oddly timed, I'll say, but uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, and we'll start out this episode with the Hawks. And uh, the most busy week the Hawks have had um, in the offseason in quite some time. Um, the headliner of this week is, of course, trading for Spurs point guard DeJounte Murray. Uh, this was a move that has been rumored and talked about for weeks now. Um, last week when I recorded the podcast, it seemed imminent that the Hawks were going to trade for Murray. It appeared that they were probably going to trade for him on that Monday last week, but they did not end up doing it. I believe it was on Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday when they made the trade. Um, but we'll get into the details now. Of course, the Hawks get DeJounte Murray from the Spurs, all-star point guard. Um, went over his profile a lot last week, the kind of player that he is, but he is a top 40-ish player in the NBA, um, a guy that's borderline star level I don't know if he's quite there yet but he had a star level season last year um, and if he can do that again I think he is definitely considered a star in the NBA um, so we know about him a good bit definitely get some more stuff with him in a second after we get through the details of this trade but the Hawks also receive Jock Landale who was a center for the Hawks but he was immediately flipped the next day to the Phoenix Suns um, so that was a real disappointment for me because I had already bought my Hawks Jock Landale jersey so definitely a, a bad purchase on my part uh, but we'll move on to what the Hawks gave up in this trade and it's a lot and it is definitely in my opinion an overpay for Murray which I don't think is a bad thing per se because Murray is a very good player and the Hawks needed a guy like him on the team but this is a massive massive haul the Spurs got uh, the first item in the trade is Daniel Gallinari. He is just straight salary filler in the trade. Um, Hawks had to match money with the Spurs to make this work, and uh, Gallo and Murray having similar salaries allowed that to happen. Um, he was immediately waived by San Antonio. I don't think he signed yet, but I think um, his main suitors were the Celtics and the Bulls, I believe, was who he was linked to. Um, but yeah, Gallo's um, tenure with Atlanta is over. Um, I'm a Gallo fan. He's awesome offensive player, obviously, but um, his defense was terrible with the Hawks, especially his most previous season. But he is definitely still a very valuable role player for a team. Um, he is a guy that can come off the bench, a microwave type player that can you know, get you some buckets in a hurry. Um, Gallo, he is a guy that can shoot over anybody. He can. He's going to make every free throw pretty much. He can create his own shot in the post. He's a great offensive player. He still is, really, um, especially off the bench. So I will miss Gallo. I, uh, I'm i a fan of him for sure, and uh, definitely some fond memories of Daniel Gallinari. So thank you for your service, Gallo, and good luck in your future endeavors. I'm sure you will do great. So now, time for the more valuable pieces in the trade. No offense, Gallo, but the draft picks that were sent to San Antonio. So First things first, uh, the Hawks sent the, the pick they got in exchange for Cam Reddish last season, the 2023 first-round pick uh, via Charlotte, which was from New York. 
Uh, so the Hornets pick pretty much it is a still a protected pick, um, but it has nothing to do, the protection has nothing to do with the Hawks. It is all with the Charlotte Hornets of uh, the protection I have to deal with. I believe last year was top 16 protected, um, and now this season upcoming draft or next offseason will be top 14, I believe. Um, and then it'll keep going down until 2025, I believe. It's a pick that is um, pretty much uh, for sure going to convey. Um, that's that's what I said when the Hawks got this pick, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be accurate with San Antonio because the Hornets are a team that appears to be on the upswing. I don't know, but I think they're going to be a playoff team, and uh, this pick will definitely convey for San Antonio. So, yeah, that's a pick that wasn't the Hawks, but kind of was not a super valuable pick because of the protections on it. But now we'll get into the most valuable pieces in this trade is that the Hawks traded two first-round picks in 2025 and 2027, and they have zero protection on either of them. Um, that is something that does not happen in the NBA at all anymore, really. Picks getting sent out with no protections whatsoever. Um, you know, at least some picks, most picks at least have uh, protections for the number one overall pick. Like, for example, the Spurs traded Derek White to Boston at the trade deadline this season, and the first-round pick the Spurs got from Boston was top one protected. So if the Celtics somehow landed the first overall pick it would be the Celtics pick. The Hawks don't even have that on these picks. No matter what happens, these these Spurs are going to have these draft picks in the same years in which they are stated in 2025 and 2027. And the Hawks also throw in a 2026 pick swap. So that means pretty much pretty self-explanatory. The Hawks have a higher pick than the Spurs. They uh, can swap picks pretty much is what that means. So um, a lot, a lot to give up for Murray. Um, and... I'll say this again, it is a bit of an overpay for Murray, but the median outcome of this trade for the Hawks is definitely in favor of Atlanta. Because if the Hawks continue on the trajectory that they're on, these picks will be in the 20s, presumably. And those, while they are still valuable assets, not insanely valuable first-round picks. But if the Hawks somehow end up um, bottoming out um, Murray, I haven't mentioned this, but he's under contract for two more seasons, let's just say... To be devil's advocate, Murray leaves in free agency after two years, and Trey Young becomes tired of Atlanta. The Hawks don't have a winning winning seasons, and they kind of had a year like they did last year. Um, Trey Young becomes tired of Atlanta, maybe, which uh, God forbid. But if he did and he wanted out, um, that could be disastrous for the Hawks, and they end up being a lottery team in 2025 and 2027, and they're giving away their top 10 picks in the draft to the Spurs. It makes it nearly impossible for the Hawks to rebuild if this thing becomes a full-blown disaster, which I would say is a tiny, tiny percentage point of that happening. It is probably less than 10, less than 5 maybe. That That is the scenario. I think the Hawks are going to be very, very good, and this is the best Hawks team that they've had in a long time, I think, that is on paper right now at the, sec at the moment. Um, but, yeah, it is a lot to give up for Murray. He is very good, but... I will say, even for you know the biggest superstars in the world, most of these picks have protections on them. I'm, it's definitely more picks for sure than what the Hawks gave up, but the the lack of protection was really surprising. Um, a lot of people who are very smart about this stuff, draft people, and just kind of free agency guys, they were just kind of taken aback <laughs> by the lack of protections on these picks. Which um, you know, I'm I would do this trade again. I mean, I'm I'm perfectly fine with it. Like I, I would not uh, change anything about it. If this is what the price was for Murray, I would definitely do it. And I definitely see why the Hawks did that. So, 
um yeah that's a uh, that's enough on the murray trade um but yeah overall thoughts on it i like it i'm very excited for Dejounte murray being next to trey young in atlanta he is going to help this team tremendously he is um really just the prototypical player that the hawks needed um with all the things they struggled with last season with perimeter defense and the lack of a second shot creator on the perimeter he checks both of those boxes he's an excellent player and i'm very excited about it so now for some more a uh, for some more sad news i guess you could say on a friday the hawks traded kevin herter to the sacramento kings um this was a move that people that people and myself saw coming that either him or bogdanovich would be traded um, because it's just kind of too many cooks in the kitchen at that point with murray um, on the perimeter they could have definitely kept herder um there's definitely other stuff playing into this like uh avoiding the tax which is probably the main reason honestly if the hawks were under the tax with herder i probably doubt that he gets traded but um the hawks were in the tax after trading for murray and having herder still on the roster um him getting traded puts them below the tax by just kind of barely i think just by like a million dollars or so um so not significantly under it at all but the Hawks do get a pretty solid return in this trade. Um, the main asset coming back to Atlanta is a 2024 first-round pick. Um, it is a protected pick. Um, lottery protected in 2024, top 12 protected in 2025, and a top 10 protected pick in 2026. It's a Sacramento Kings, so I don't know this pick. There is a, there is a chance this pick doesn't convey for the Hawks because the Kings are just a disaster class of an organization. Um, but um, also coming over in this trade is Justin Holiday who is going to be reunited with his brother Aaron Holiday, who the Hawks signed in free agency. So, um, yeah, the Hawks got the two Holiday brothers, two of the three Holiday brothers. Their brother Drew, of course, plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, but not the first time they played together, actually. They were both on the Indiana Pacers a couple years ago, but he is one of the guys coming back to Atlanta, and uh, a guy that could be a solid role player, a good solid wing. He's been a good wing for a while now, and uh, he used to play for the Hawks, actually, too. So um, that's a pretty interesting trade trade piece there. And they also get Mo Harkless in the in the deal. Um, there's a chance that he could stick around too. Um, he's a guy that's battled a lot of injuries in his career, but definitely could be another solid uh, piece off the bench and a good role player for the Hawks. So definitely um, a chance both these guys could crack the rotation at some points in the season. Um, so yeah, that's the um, that's the package coming back to Atlanta for Herter. Um, you know, I don't in a vacuum. I don't love doing this because it's. It just really kind of takes away from your depth as the Hawks, but I do understand, and you know, it's it's a uh, it's a weird thing that fans have to kind of uh, deal with is the owners not wanting to pay certain amounts of money to make the team really good. I still think the Hawks are very good, but the Hawks are definitely worse without Kevin Herter on the team right now and what came back from Sacramento. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, really just the main thing is this, was the Tony Wrestler not wanting to pay the tax, and that is a key component of why this trade happened. And you can also spin it as, you know, the Hawks got another guy on the perimeter with Murray and um, with Bogdanovich and Herter. There's just, um, you know, kind of a surplus of the kind of same archetype between those two. And Herter just has a lot more value than Bogdanovich. He's younger. He's on a better contract. He's way less injury prone. He's better defensively. So it is a uh, definitely a loss to be sure. But the Hawks are able to recoup a first round pick, which is a uh, lost like I said, quite a few of them with the Murray trade. And they also get a couple of good role players with um, good potential. So overall, not a terrible, terrible deal, but definitely a bittersweet thing because I'm going to miss Kevin Herter. I'm a big Kevin Herter fan. He, um, of course, had the huge Game 7 last year against the 76ers when Trey 
had a bad game. Herder stepped up and pretty much won the game for the Hawks and sent them to the Eastern Conference Finals. So definitely some good memories for Red Velvet. And um, I will miss him dearly. I love him like a son. So we will move on to uh, the last two points of news from the Hawks this week. Um, one of them doesn't involve a signing, really. It is a departure and free agency from a uh, key guy last year on the Hawks. It was DeLon Wright, who agreed to a two-year, $16 million deal with the Wizards. Um, I was still hoping that the Hawks would bring DeLon back as a backup point guard, um, but obviously that's not happening now as he is in Washington. Um, it's a pretty good payday for DeLon, uh, probably a little more than I think uh, – was expected for him to get, so I kind of understand what the Hawks were a little bit a um, a little bit skeptical to probably try to get from the same deal. I know DeLon was kind of vocal about wanting to return to Atlanta, and my best guess is that the Hawks didn't want to pay him eight million dollars, which I kind of get, but I do think that he would definitely he's definitely gonna be worth this contract with the Wizards because of the stuff that he does on the court. It's just kind of um, very it's just very valuable, and um, it's just kind of stuff that. Uh, it doesn't show up on the stat sheet. You know, that's kind of a cliche, but it's true with DeLon Wright. He is a guy that makes winning basketball plays on both sides of the floor. He's very good defensively. He's a great passer, you know, all that stuff. He does the little things, and uh, I enjoyed watching DeLon play a lot last year with the Hawks. So wish him the best of luck in Washington. Um, the Wizards are becoming a very weird team right now. Um, but best of luck to him. Hope he does great there, but not when we play the Hawks, obviously. So good luck, DeLon, and we'll move on. To the last, I wouldn't even say this is a piece of news, but it's something that I thought was definitely worth mentioning. And this is a, this is, and no, by no means do I think this is going to happen, but I do think it is worth at least saying. There's the main story of the NBA right now is the Brooklyn Nets and how they're about to have to blow things up. Um, Kyrie and KD both wanting out right now. And uh, there hasn't been a ton of like, like room, like strong rumors or reporting of this happening, but there has been some uh, some uh, speculation that this could be a possible landing spot for Kevin Durant, and that is the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but the Hawks are kind of a team that could fit what KD is looking for. They're a young team; they have a lot of talent, and um, it's uh, definitely a place that KD could land. The Hawks are by no means a front runner, but I do think it was at least noting that there is at least a tiny percentage chance that KD could be traded to the Hawks. Um, the Hawks would trade probably all of their picks for a decade if this happened. And, of course, like probably like John Collins, Onyeka Kongwu, um, Jalen Johnson, A.J. Griffin, all their young assets would be on the move in this trade. But um, I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think it's at least worth noting. And another thing about the Kevin Herter trade that I didn't really mention um, is that it doesn't seem like John Collins is being traded anymore. That's something I probably should have mentioned earlier. But, um, yeah, Collins is still on the team. He seemed to be kind of a lock to be traded, and he still hasn't been traded yet. Doesn't mean he's not going to be, but since they kind of salary dumped Herter instead of him, it makes a lot of sense to keep Collins on the roster now because you're below the tax. And Collins, I think, um, before Murray arriving, he was the second-best player now, probably your third-best player. And I think the Hawks are a lot better now if they keep John Collins. And, um, yeah, so I guess in a vacuum, I would rather have traded Kevin Herter than John Collins, too. That's another kind of on-the-bright-side thing of this Kevin Herter trade. So, yeah, definitely worth mentioning. And they also haven't traded Capella or Okongwu either, and there's really nothing out there on them. So it appears at the moment they're going to keep all three of those guys, which if you had told me at the beginning of the offseason, I probably would have said that it's very unlikely that Collins, Capella, and Okongwu will all return next year. That seemed... Pretty unlikely to me, but now I think that 
that is probably um, the most likely outcome, which is perfectly fine by me because that is just absolutely stellar big man depth with a Kongu as backup center and Collins, his ability to play center too. Um, so I, I like keeping Collins a lot, and I hope they do it. It, it could still happen. He could still be traded. Um, even if it's not for Kevin Durant, he could still be traded for sure. So, yeah, definitely had to mention that before we uh, wrap up the Hawks talk. So, yeah, very busy week for the Hawks. And uh, things have kind of been quiet over the past few days. Um, but um, KD, I think the whole KD and Kyrie thing is really holding up the entire league, honestly, because there's just really been a lack of news the past few days. Besides, like, really, Rudy Gobert got traded to the Timberwolves. That's really been it. And I think everybody's just waiting for those two massive dominoes to fall before they really make their next move. So Hawks, they could be done. Um, they, they filled out their roster with these returns in the Kings trades. They got like guys like Shreve Cooper as restricted free agents who they could easily bring back, which they're, they're going to bring back Shreve Cooper. They got Tyrese Martin, who they had in the draft. Um, they got all these guys. They got Shondi Brown in a two-way contract. They could they could be done. It's probably not likely that they're done, but they could be done. They could fill out their roster with the rest of their guys they have now. Um, and it wouldn't be the worst thing ever, but I, I don't expect that to be the case. I'm sure they'll do at least something small um, to help fill out the rest of this roster. Uh, but, yeah, that's enough on the Hawks. And now we'll move on to the Braves talk, which is, um, boy, this is a doozy of just uh, a news report that I'm looking at for the Braves of what happened this week. Um, two very different pieces of news that I'm going to talk about before we get into actual baseball stuff. Um, but the biggest one that started off at the beginning of the week, right after, I think it was on Monday, actually, that the, uh, you know, the Braves had just got done playing the Dodgers, and the, um, obviously it was a very emotional, emotional weekend for Freddie Freeman, and I believe it was the Monday after the game, Monday or Tuesday, uh, Freddie Freeman fired his agent, Casey Close, who um, I believe he works for XL, is the um, sports agency he works for, yeah, it's XL, um, so he fired his agent there, Casey Close, who is a very um, popular agent. He represents a lot of players. He represents Derek Jeter, um, a ton of guys. He's a very big-time agent, obviously. He represents Freddie Freeman. He also represents Danzy Swanson, which we'll get into a little bit later, how that's important. Um, but he fired him on Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday, one of the two, right after the Dodgers series. Uh, my speculation was he had this plan for a while that he didn't want to do it before he had to go back to Atlanta to avoid just more you know, storyline stuff and just more stuff around Freddie going back to Atlanta. So he waited till he was out of Atlanta for the rest of the regular season, at least to do this. But, um, you know, that's kind of thought where this thing was going to stop. Oh, he fired his agent, his agent, yada, yada, yada. Pretty, pretty surprising, but it definitely seems like his agent messed him up. But then an absolute bombshell comes out. Um, I will say, take this with a grain of salt because it is still up in the air that if this is true or not, it was reported by um, this guy named Doug Getlib or something. Getlib, I've never heard of him in my life. He is a basketball reporter, actually. He works for CBS, I think. So definitely like a real reporter, but definitely not a baseball reporter. He's, I think he's like a college basketball guy. I've never heard of him. Um, but he says this about the whole Freeman situation. I guess he was able to get this piece of intel. It says, and I quote, Casey Close never told Freddie Freeman about the Braves' final offer, and that is why Freeman fired him. He found out in Atlanta this weekend. It isn't that rare to have happened in the MLB, but it happened. Close knew Freddie would have taken the offer from Atlanta. End quote. That is a super, super strong um, allegation against Casey Close. Apparently, this is a thing that happens sometimes in baseball, which I don't think is 
good at all. I'm, I'm not super familiar with, you know, contract stuff and all that and what really goes down behind closed doors. But this seems like malpractice to me and seems like fireable offenses and stuff you should be fired from your agency for. But apparently it's like it's, it happens sometimes, which is just bizarre to me. Um, but yeah, it is just a nuke of a allegation against Casey Close and when people saw this, they kind of just set the entire Braves internet sphere on fire, um, obviously, and it is definitely has some merit to it considering Freddie actually fired him, um, and this thing isn't over actually because I still have a whole other thing to read you of a, a statement from Casey Close and his agency Excel, but um, it definitely seems more likely than not that this is probably true, in my opinion. I don't think it's 100% factual and probably like a... 65 35 on my on out of 100 for a true and false i think this is probably true and um definitely a fireable offense and i don't blame freddie for firing him if this is the case at all and even if he didn't do this he could still have botched freddie's free agency in other ways like um the ultimatum he gave alex anthopoulos definitely could have been part of this of why freddie fired him i wouldn't put it past freddie at all for firing him over that because that is uh, definitely another thing that is pretty wild that happened, if that's true. Um, but, yeah, this is very, very, very bad and just made me really feel bad for Freddie. But still, um, I was going to say this now, I still would rather have Matt Olson. I'll say that right now. I think he's a better long-term investment for the Braves than Freddie. But still, just a absolute um, doozy of a report there. And now I will read... Casey Close. I don't know if this is straight from the mouth of Casey Close or if it's from um, Excel, but this is kind of a sh this is a shot at the Braves actually from Excel and Casey Close. I'll read it now, and I quote: "I will not stand by as the circumstances surrounding Freddie Freeman's departure from Atlanta are mischaracterized. Since March, the Braves have fostered a narrative about negotiations which started, which stated plainly is false. Part of that false narrative is the suggestion that I did not communicate a contract offer." To, to Freemans, to the Freemans. To be clear, we communicated every offer that was made, as well as every communication Excel had with the Braves organization throughout the entire process. I have a 30-year reputation in this business for integrity and honesty, and I've always operated with the utmost character. At Excel, we are privileged to represent many ex exemplary, exemplary athletes, kind of a hard word there, some of whom who have chosen to spend their entire careers with one franchise. We always put the players' goals and best interests first and will always continue to do so. So, he also said in a different, like a different, I don't know if it was in a different uh, press release or something, that he would go under oath for this, that is, and of testifying this is false, that he would go under oath, which is um, interesting, I guess, because they're not going to make you do that so <laughs> i don't know why i guess he's just kind of overcompensating which kind of makes me think that he this is actually true um i, I mentioned that he represented Derek jeter earlier Derek jeter actually made a statement about this of how casey close is like such a great guy and this that and the other on his twitter which um i think that xl and casey close definitely asked Derek jeter to do that and probably sweetened his pockets to do it also which is funny to me because i definitely think he got him to say that um but yeah, it's this kind of screams guilty to me. Um, the 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 main part that makes you just seem super guilty is that you actually got fired. Um, Freddie Freeman, who knows the situation better than anybody, fired you. 
and it seems that he found out some information and that that was the last straw and you got fired if these allegations would have came out about him not telling freddie an offer and he was still representing freddie and hadn't got fired yet then yeah like things are definitely still up in the air and you have way more credibility and you know you can convince people way easier that this isn't true but you got fired dude you are done being his agent and that makes it seem like you are definitely guilty and the overcompensation he's making it seem like the braves fed out this information to Gatelieb, I think's his name. I, I'm sorry, I'm butchering his name. But the report of him not telling the offer, he's making it seem like the Braves um, fed him that information, which if the Braves did that, I definitely think it's true because I don't think the Braves would do that if it was false. And maybe the Braves, this is just some pettiness from the Braves front office against Casey Close and Excel. But man, this is just a full-blown, like, this is just a fiasco. I mean, it's insane. This is... I've never seen anything like this, honestly, of a f player's free agency and, you know, between Freddie's emotions last weekend. I told you all last week I'd never seen anything like that of a player being that emotional. And I've never seen anything like this about a player's free agency. This is a disaster. And even if he did tell Freddie about this offer, and, like, I think he still deserved to be fired because he gave the Braves a ultimatum of an hour you, you have an hour to decide between this offer and this offer and then the Braves said all right want to trade for Matt Olson it's just such bad agent work uh, I guess is the word for it it's insane um so yeah no other stuff has came out about it I think this is probably the end of it but man what a just absolute circus this is so yeah that's um that's enough on Freddie hopefully for a while because I'm getting tired of it so, yeah. Oh, yeah. One last thing. Actually, we're not done. I forgot to mention. Casey Close is also Dansby Swanson's agent. Um, Dansby, I think Dansby's said that um, he has no intention of changing agencies, which it's not a huge deal. I don't think it might end up being a huge deal. Dansby is obviously a free agent at the end of this, end of this season, and his free agency is starting to look like it's going to be uber complicated for how you're going to value Dansby Swanson. He is obviously having a terrific year, but he's a notoriously streaky guy, and this is like the first full good season he's ever had. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if the Braves and XL's bridge has been completely burned. The Braves and Casey Close bridge has been burned at least. If the, there's no way Dansby returns because of this, I think Dansby's going to go wherever whoever offers him the most money. So I don't know if it'll affect it that much, but definitely worth mentioning that Casey Close also represents Dansby Swanson. So yeah, we will uh, move on now. That was the last thing I need to talk about. So the next piece of news that came out this week was a report that Jacob DeGrom could be an Atlanta Brave next season. I'll read the full report from Buster Rolling right now. It says, and I quote, there is a perception in some corners of the industry that if Jacob DeGrom follows through with what he said in spring and opts out of his Mets contract, the Braves will be the favorites to land him. Just absolutely out of nowhere this week. This was something that obviously raised a ton of eyebrows, and for good reason. Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball when he's healthy. He obviously has not been healthy this year at all for the second half of last year. He hasn't pitched in nearly a year. Um... The timing is interesting because DeGrom actually had a rehab assignment, I think, yesterday or the day before. So he is working his way back to the Mets right now. 
And um, in the middle of all that, it is getting reported that the Braves are the favorites to land him if he opts out next year, which he said he was going to opt out. So let's um, let's pull up DeGrom's page real quick. Let's do that. Jacob DeGrom, let's see how much money he is owed next season if he were to opt in. So right now he's on the 60-day IL, obviously, and he hasn't pitched at all this year. I'm going to pull up his... Let me find his salaries real quick. I believe the number is around uh, $32 million. So, yeah, he has a player option next year. Not a player option, but just an opt-out of his contract. Um, but if he did opt in, it, it would be worth $32.5 million. And I'm assuming DeGrom wants something of a long-term contract next year. And I just I don't know. I don't know about this. It would be very unbraves-like and unanthopolis-like to give Jacob DeGrom, who next year in free agency will be, let's see how old he will be. He just had his birthday. He will be 34. And when the Braves, if the Braves sign, he will be a 34-year-old pitcher with a lot of injury concerns. He is obviously the greatest pitcher on the planet. No one's denying that. He is an absolutely awesome guy. He is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He will probably end up in the Hall of Fame, if I had to guess, if he can just crank out a couple more good years. But it would be a massive contract for DeGrom. Anthopolis loves a one-year deal. I couldn't imagine DeGrom taking a one-year deal with the Braves because let's just say DeGrom doesn't really pitch this year. He comes back and maybe gets hurt again or something. And like there would just be kind of be no reason for him to opt out at that point. Just take the one-year $32.5 million and stick around with the Mets, the only reason I could think of him doing that is that he just doesn't want to be on the Mets, which I can't say I blame him. But if he if he opts out of $32.5 million and signs a one-year deal with the Braves, that would just be hilarious, first of all, and just a huge indicator that he didn't want to play for the Mets. And there's also the fear of him after next year, he has a team option on his contract, so the Mets could pick him up. So maybe he sees, like, hey, if I opt in next year, I'm probably stuck with the Mets for two more years. And if, if you're in his shoes and you don't want to play for the Mets – you just go ahead and opt out then and there. So it seems that there is some something out there, whether it's DeGrom's party or the Braves that have sort of floated this into the ether, that they are that they are the front runners. And DeGrom, he is from Florida. Um, he was born in Deland, Florida. I don't know where that is in relation to Georgia, but it is way closer to Atlanta than it is New York City, obviously. So maybe he wants to be a little bit closer to home. That could definitely be a part of it. Um, so maybe he grew up a Braves fan or something like that. That's definitely a possibility. But, um, yeah, that is definitely just kind of a a bomb of a report from Olney in the middle of – or at the beginning of July, right when he's making his comeback to the Mets. It's just the timing is super weird. And, um, yeah, I don't know what to really think of it, honestly. But I'd be down to sign Jacob DeGrom. I mean, I don't think there is a team that wouldn't be. Um, obviously, he is the best pitcher on the planet. But, um, yeah, I don't. I just don't know how likely it is. It just doesn't seem like very Anthopolis. Like, I don't know if this is just put out there just to mess with the Mets. But, boy, I mean, if the Braves signed to Grom next year, the reaction of Mets fans would just be chef's kiss to die for, like, everywhere in the book. It would be awesome. Um, even if you only made like one start for the Braves, just that might be worth it. Obviously, it wouldn't be worth it, but that would just be awesome if they did that. But, man, that would be something. Um, again, this is just a rumor in July. Um, we have a long way to go until free agency next year. 
But it seems like DeGrom's going to opt out. And I think if he pitches at all this year with any success, he's going to opt out and he's going to hit the market. So we will see what happens with that. But definitely a notable report from Buster Olney. Um, and uh, yeah, something that is definitely worth mentioning. And um, if the Braves do this, man, that would just be awesome for a variety of reasons. But also with a lot of risk to it, too, because he is an older guy and has somewhat of an injury history. So... Moving on to actual baseball stuff, after a ton of non-baseball stuff, pretty much. Um, first first things first, on the injury front, Eddie Rosario and Tyler Matzik came back last night. Uh, Matzik didn't pitch, but they have been in Gwinnett doing rehab assignments. Rosario started in left field. He had a base hit, which is good because he only had three of them before, which was he was just awful before, obviously, but he had a hole in his eyeball. What are you going to do? Um, but Matzik's also back on the team now. They optioned Jesus Cruz and Mike Ford down to AAA. Those were a pretty obvious moves there. And also Kinley Jansen went on the IL last Monday after that uh, his blown save against the Dodgers with his heart, heart issues. It was within a regular heartbeat was the exact terminology for it. But this is something that Kinley's dealt with for, I think, like over 10 years now. It's like 2011. Um, he's had some problems like this flare up in the past with the Dodgers. Um, I don't know if his last outing had anything to do with it. It was a extremely, extremely high-stress situation he was in. Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but the stuff that I read that they had to do to him, they had to shock his heart back into place. It sounds it, – it, the way that it was reported was kind of ho-hum, like it's like a regular thing for him, which it probably is because he's known this for so long. But just the way that it was described was like, oh, my God, it sounds like terrible. He had to shock his heart back into like rhythm. So it's definitely a weird situation, but he went on the 15-day IL. He's expected to come back um, right after that time is up, which is definitely a positive um, for a variety of reasons. We'll get into uh, the Will Smith later of what he's been doing lately. Um, but, yeah, that um, that's definitely not a good thing. Hopefully Kenley's doing good, but um, definitely um, something that you don't love, especially irregular heartbeat. That is just sounds super scary and um, something that I hope I never have to deal with personally. So. Um, let, last order of uh, business before we talk about the games is that the Tuki Toussaint era is over in Atlanta. Sadly, I've uh, I've always had a love for Tuki Toussaint. Definitely one of my favorite Brave prospects in recent memory. Um, things did not work out with him in Atlanta. He got DFA'd last week to make room on the forty man for Jay Jackson, which is just kind of indicative of how bad Tuki was struggling this year in Gwinnett. He was very bad in Gwinnett this year, but he was DFA'd. And um, ended up being traded to the Angels, actually, for, I believe, just cash, cash considerations, the greatest baseball player ever. Um, he was traded for him. And um, so, yeah, the Tukey era is over in Atlanta. And um, I wish him nothing but the best in Los Angeles and Anaheim. I hope he does fantastic. Um, hopefully he can crack the Angels bullpen or something. He can turn things around because I love Tukey. He's a great personality and uh, definitely a guy when he was on, he was a ton of fun to watch pitch. And um, wish him all the best. I hope Tukey can straighten things out and turn his career around because he is definitely one of my favorite, I guess, no offense, but one of my favorite bad Braves. He was pretty bad with the Braves, except for kind of last year. He was kind of good. But anyway, um, love Tukey. Wish him the best. So moving on to actual baseball games now. So this week, the Braves played... Um, the Philadelphia Phillies on the road and the Cincinnati Reds on the road. They also had um, a game last night. I didn't record yesterday because it's the 4th of July. Um, but they had a game last night against the Cardinals, which they won. So um, we'll start off with the Phillies series. They take the first two games of this one, 5-3 to three and 4-1. to one. Um, 
pretty just solid all-around wins for the Braves in these two. Um, a good bounce back on Monday to win after the heartbreak against the Dodgers, but they get the 5-3 to three win. Um, some good offensive performances. Darno and Olsen both take Zach Wheeler deep in the first inning, which is definitely impressive. Zach Wheeler is really good, um, but Braves got two runs off of him right there in the first inning. They would add on some more later on. They end up getting Wheeler for three earned runs, which is you get Wheeler for three earned runs in any amount of innings he pitches pretty much. It's a good thing. Um, Morton wasn't super sharp in this game at all, but he ended up having a fine line at the end of it. Um, he gave up 11 base runners and 5.2 innings pitch, but he only gave up two earned runs. He wasn't good. He was really good later on in the week, but he was not good in this start, but he got pretty lucky in this one. Uh, Matt Olson hit a home run late in this game to put the Braves up on top. Um, a huge clutch shot for him. His second homer of the game, like I said, he hit a homer off of Wheeler. Um, so a really good home run for Matt Olson in the eighth inning to put the Braves on top. They would add on an insurance run also in the ninth. Braves win 5-3. to three. Great stuff, guys. Way to go. Move on to game two. The Braves win 4-1. to one. Another just solid victory. Uh, the Braves actually went down 1-0, to nothing, then scored four unanswered runs for the rest of the game to win. Adam Duvall hit a homer. Matt Olson had two doubles. He has 31 doubles now. He might have more now, actually, but at the time he had 31 doubles. He's kind of running away with that. He's kind of on pace to break the all-time doubles record, which is pretty wild. Um, but, yeah, Braves had another just solid, solid game. Kyle Wright was terrific. Seven innings pitched, one earned run. Um, I think he, he gave up a home run, and that was the only run he gave up, I believe. Yeah, Reese Hoskins took him deep. I think he hit the foul pole. Seven innings pitched. He was great. Uh, Jesse Chavez struck out the side in the eighth. One, two, or he gave up a hit, but he struck out the side. Uh, good stuff from him. And Will Smith got a clean inning save. Two strikeouts, no base runners. He would not do that later in the week. We'll tell you that. Um, I'll tell you about that later. He did it twice in a row. Just an absolutely um, bizarre couple of games for Will Smith. But the Braves win game two and take the series. Um, at least they went for the sweep on Wednesday or on Thursday, actually, their next game. And they did not get it at all. They lost 14-4. to I believe it's the most runs the Braves have given up all year. And it was because Ian Anderson had his worst start or his worst start as a professional pitcher. Two innings pitched, seven earned runs in this game. And he gave up a home run. Um, Jesus Cruz came in and was not any better. He had three home runs in 2.2 innings. Mike Ford ended up pitching in this game as a position player. He gave up a home run. <laughs> so, yeah, just um, a terrible pitching performance all around from the Braves. They actually kind of hit Aaron Nola. He ended up going seven innings, which like wouldn't have happened if this game was close. But they got him for four runs. They hit two homers off of him. Michael Harris hit a homer off of him. And um, who else hit a homer? That was Duvall. Harris and Duvall hit a homer off of him. Um, that's kind of the only positive in this game. The Braves got blown out. I kind of thought that Ian might have gone the IL after this game because of how bad he looked, but he did not, and he's starting tonight against the Cardinals, so we'll see if he can bounce back at all. We'll move on to game one on Friday against the Reds. The Braves win 9-1. to um, was a close game all the way up until the seventh inning where the Braves scored seven runs in the last three innings to blow things wide open. Um, Dansby Swanson had a huge three-run homer. Mike Miner. Austin Riley had a homer off of Mike Miner. Um, Ron Acuna got hit by a pitch twice in this game. And this was actually his return because he was out the entire Philly series with that uh, ball that he fouled off of his foot. So he came back, he had two hits, and he got hit twice. So he was on base four times, um, which not a great way to get on base four times, but he'll take it. That'll really up the OBP. Um, 
And yeah, pitching wise in this game, Max Freed, terrific as always. Seven innings pitched, one earned run, no walks, five hits, four strikeouts. He is down to a 2.66 ERA on the season. If I couldn't spit that out. Um, Silvino Brancho made his Braves debut. He got traded from the Red Sox to the Braves, and he had a scoreless inning, so maybe he could be a surprise guy in the bullpen. I don't know. He pitched in garbage time, so you can't really take too much stock into it. But, yeah, a good win for the Braves in Game 1. And they also turned around, and they won Game 2 also. Um, another solid game for the Braves. They continue to play great this week. A 4-1 to win. Another really good pitching performance um, from Spencer Strider, who was absolutely awesome in this game. I'll pull up his stat line now. He went six innings pitched, one earned run, 11 strikeouts. He had a no-hitter going through, I think, five innings, I think. He only gave up one hit this entire game, one walk. He was awesome. Back-to-back, just electric starts from Strider. Um, But the main kind of story of this game (laughs) was Will Smith, who came in. The game score was 4-1, to bottom of the ninth, coming in for the save. Him and Mentor have kind of been splitting save duties now that Kenley has been out, but Will Smith comes in, bottom of the ninth, 4-1 game. He gives up two walks and a hit-by-pitch to load the bases. Um, he had two outs, bases loaded. It's Albert Almora at the plate, and he hits a ball that was the loudest out possible in a game like that to the warning track. I believe Heredia caught it, and he somehow doesn't give up a grand slam there. That was an absolute um, like just terrifying moment. If that ball would have left the yard, oh my god, I couldn't imagine what happened. And the funny thing is that he kind of does the same thing two days later. We'll get into that when that game happens, but Will Smith escapes from the skin of his teeth. His line, one innings pitched, two walks, one hit by pitch, one strikeout. Load the bases up, he got out of it. He has been just something else lately. He has given up a run in like 11 innings, I think, which is hilarious that he somehow hasn't. But by god, that was terrifying and We'll talk about game one against the Cardinals in a second because he pretty much does the exact same thing. Um, but first, we got to talk about another absolutely just uh, terrible loss the Braves suffered. Back-to-back Sundays with back-to-back awful losses. Um, this one wasn't as bad as the Dodgers lost, but this one was pretty, pretty rough of what happened in this one. The Braves lose 4-3 to in the finale. Um, they led 1-0 to for most of this game. Marcelo Zuna had a homer in the fourth inning, but in the eighth inning, Colin McHugh... Um, imploded kind of, had his maybe his worst outing of the season, gave up three earned runs and one inning pitched. Uh, Charlie Morton was absolutely awesome in this game. Seven innings pitched, zero earned runs, one hit, one walk, ten strikeouts. Far and away his best start of the season. He was absolutely terrific in this game. Um, Luis Castillo was also great for the Reds too. Seven innings pitched, one earned run for him. But um, yeah, McHugh really blew it. He gave up three runs and it ended up being three to one heading into the ninth inning. And I, I think this is worth mentioning. A uh, he gave up a two-run double to Brandon Drury, um, in the eighth that scored two of the runs. That was the first extra base hit in the entire series by the Reds. So that's definitely not good that it happened. But they were due, like more than due. They had gone what twenty f- or. No, yeah, like yeah, like 25, 26 innings without an extra base hit, which is just insane that that hadn't happened yet. That was the only one they had in the entire series. Definitely a bad time they picked to do it. Um, but the game was not over at all because in the top of the ninth, Marcelo Zuna hits the second homer in the game to make it 3-2. Um, to two, And then down to their last out, Michael Harris hits a absolute bomb on the first pitch, a 425-foot homer 
to tie the game at three. And Ron Acuna comes up. He doesn't. He doesn't. Um, doesn't get a hit or anything. But game is tied and morale is high. AJ Minter comes in the game in the bottom of the ninth, and things do not go his way at all. Um, he wasn't super sharp. Um, he did give up a run. It was unearned because there was an error. But the Braves defense just kind of completely fell apart. It was like early season Braves defense. Um, they had Tommy Pham picked off a of first base, and Matt Olson made a really bad throw to Dansby that like took him off the bag and didn't allow him to make a tag, which put him at second. And then, and then Austin Riley, Marcelo Zuna led a Joey Votto pop a foul ball pop up, land in between them. So that's two outs that should have been happened, but instead they have a runner on second. Mentor ends up walking Votto. And then I can't remember what outside. Oh, he hits Jonathan India with a pitch to load the bases. And then Albert Almora, who came up with the bases loaded the day before with a chance to walk off, he hits a chopper. They had the infield in, so a chopper went over like Dansby's head, and it was a walk-off. AJ didn't get an out in the inning, but it was an unearned run. He wasn't sharp because he gave up the walk, obviously, and he hit Jonathan India, who has been terrible this season. Who He's a defending rookie of the year, and he's been awful this year, but that's not really doesn't really matter. He hit him with a pitch. He gave up the single, and um, yeah, just a super tough bottom of the ninth that they had. I mean, they could have easily just been, like, if they would have got the outs they should have got with Fam and Vado, that chopper by uh, Almora just becomes like a chopper to Dansby, and we had the extra innings. I don't know what happens in extra innings, obviously, but definitely a tough loss for the Braves. Not as bad as that Dodgers game last Sunday, but still a pretty rough loss to a bad Reds team. Um, but they're just kind of just kind of like law of averages came into play there. The fact that they hadn't had an extra base hit until that point, they were just perpetually due. Like they were going to have an extra base hit at some point. It doesn't matter how bad of a baseball team you are, you're going to break through at some point, and the Reds finally did. They had two runs in the first two games. So whatever, baseball happens. It's kind of back-to-back Sundays of just like weird baseball stuff happening to the Braves. And it all it'll all even out. I'm sure it will. Um, but yeah, still a just kind of a maddening loss to Cincinnati. So we'll move on to the Fourth of July game against the Cardinals. Um, ended up being a game that got um, a, a massive rain delay in the fifth inning. I believe it was like two and a half hours long. But the Braves were able to go up early, big, or go up big early, I should say. They led six to one at the time of the rain delay. Uh, Dansby Swanson had a three-run double. Um, Matt Olson had two RBI singles. Um, he was. The offense was just going crazy earlier. They had five runs in, uh, in the second inning. They had a run in the first inning also. So the offense just kind of ran wild early on in this game. Acuna also had an RBI walk. That made it 6-1. to one. Those would be all the runs the Braves got for the rest of the game. Um, but kind of just, you know, skip all the other stuff. Jesse Chavez gave up two homers in the sixth inning, which made it 6-3. to three. And um, after the rain delay, it was just kind of a weird game. But we'll move on to the ninth inning. And the Will Smith show was in full effect once again. Um, his stat line goes, one inning pitched, zero earned runs, and two strikeouts. Looks good on paper, but then you look a little deeper, two walks and a hit in a three-run game. Um, and concerning the part of the lineup that came up, it, it was just an absolute miracle that he didn't even give up a run. It, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen with this guy. I guess it's some kind of skill of you being, being able to get out of jams, but... Yeah, it, it was um, just something else, a sight to see. I think, let's see the exact um, sequencing that happened here. Um, so it started off, let's pull up the uh, the Cardinals lineup so I can just take you kind of play-by-play sort of thing. So first off, he walks Austin Romine, the 
Cardinals backup catcher, who has a 432 OPS. He walks him to lead off the inning. He gets Tommy Fam or Tom, not Tommy Fam, Tommy Edmond out on a strikeout. And then Brendan Donovan, I believe, gets a hit, I'll say. He gets a hit. And then I think he walks Paul Goldschmidt to let no, he hits Brendan Donovan. That's what he was. He hits him with the pitch, I think. I, mean, I can't remember exactly, but he lets Brendan Donovan on. Then Paul Goldschmidt comes up and he walks. So the bases are loaded, one out for Nolan Arenado. And he swings through an absolute cement mixer hanger of a slider for strike three that was right down the middle. I can't believe that he did that. And then with the bases loaded, two outs, Albert Pujols comes in to hit. And um, he hits a little tiny chopper back to Will Smith. But it ended up being a 3-2 count, a super long at bat. And it was just, oh, my God. It was something just... Like, I just can't believe that he can do this. It is a skill to a certain extent, but it is just absolutely tough to watch. Um, you know, I saw a pretty funny tweet that said, Will Smith closed out the NLDS, the NLCS, and the World Series for the Braves, and I have never wanted a contract to expire more quickly than his. And I can't say that I disagree. He's making a lot of money. And, I mean, I'm about to pull up his page right now. It's hilarious. He's got a 309 ERA, which is really good it's a really good area but he is worth zero war on the season his whip is 1.34 which is pretty high his strikeout numbers are still pretty solid 34 strikeouts and 32 innings but he has a 309 era and a 489 fip that is a massive gap and if like i mentioned law of averages earlier if the law of averages means anything Will Smith is going to get his shit rocked here soon because he is a fly ball pitcher that has been walking, what are his walks, 5.1 walks per nine. He is getting insanely lucky. It's not even funny how lucky he's been getting, especially his last two outings. His last two outings, two innings pitched, zero earned runs, but he gave up eight base or six base runners in those two innings. That is a that is a whip, or a whip of, um, what's that whip, a three whip? That's insane. So, yeah, man, I I have nothing else to say about Will Smith. It's an, it's impressive. Having a 4.89 FIP with a 3.09 ERA over 32 innings, which is a solid sample size for a reliever, is genuinely impressive that you can get it that big of a gap in between those two numbers. Genuinely impressive. Um, his homers per nine is still like the same as last year. He's given up five homers this year in 32 innings, which isn't great. Um, but the walks are way up, which is bad. He's walked um, 18 guys in 32 innings. How many guys did he hit with pitch? He's hit two guys with a pitch, too, so you can throw that in there. But, yeah, he's having a weird season. The results have been good. 309 ERA is good. But, boy, has he gotten lucky. And Kenley cannot come back soon enough because Will Smith is not he – just, he just can't be the high-leverage guy, can't be the closer, can't be facing the heart of the lineup, playing the game. It just can't be him. It's got to be Mentor or Kenley. And, yeah, it's just incredible. He's having a just a remarkably bizarre season. So, yeah, that's that's all on Will Smith. And that's, um yeah, that's all for the episode. I think I've covered I think I've covered it all. Uh, we, had a, we had a lot to talk about in this one. Um, but, yeah, if you uh, made it this far listening, I really, really appreciate it. I will be back next week with another episode. Maybe some more Hawks stuff will drop. Maybe they'll do some kind of notable trade or something like that. The Braves will continue to play games, so we'll uh, discuss them. But, yeah, uh, thank you all for listening, and I will see you in the next one.